Hey, this is Mike from Theology on Mission podcast. Today is October 2nd. We are releasing this episode today. And tomorrow, October 3rd, we're going to do a live recording of the podcast at 11 a.m. Central Time. If you go to our Facebook page, Theology on Mission, or if you go to Northern Seminary's Facebook page, we'll be streaming live from there. So show up on the Facebook, give us some questions say hi to us, and you can see kind of behind the scenes of what happens during the recording of our podcast. Thanks for listening to the Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission, the questions of engaging our culture for Christ and his kingdom. I think it's working, Mike Moore. It's working. It's working. Can you can you hear me? The music's working. Now. I can hear you too, so that's right. working too. This microphone smells a little bit. Uh-oh. Let's not go there. This is a public <laughs> podcast. I mean, in other words, let's not embarrass anybody. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, here we are, listening to the music that always gets us going. Doesn't it, Mike Moore? Does it, does it get you going? It's this and uh, watching you drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Dude, it's the afternoon. It's September. And I love the Dunk. I love the Dunkin'. Not as well as I love Tim Horton, but I love it too. McDonald's is only for the mornings. <laughs> and, and Dunkin' Donuts uh, burrito bowl too, right? Okay, let's not go into that, okay? Let's <laughs> I bring not. up all these things Folks. that are too private. Well, I just don't want a lot of hate mail about eating That's at fair. Dunkin' Donuts. That's fair. Uh, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are on the Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission. The questions of engaging the culture for his kingdom, Christ and his kingdom. Do you like my new tagline? I like it a lot. Can you say it? Can you? I don't want to like overdo it, but... I'd like to hear you and you, the velvet tones of Mike Moore say it. Which part? Uh, the whole thing. Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission, the questions of engaging our culture for Christ and his kingdom. Dude. How's that? I, I can practice. Dude, can we like, no, can we just take that and put it at the front of every yeah, podcast? Yeah, that. <laughs> that was just so good. You've got the knack. All right, so here we are. It's September at Northern Seminary, and uh, you know, like uh, like I always feel, I feel the anticipation of a new quarter beginning. A new, yeah, we have we are yeah. on the quarter system That's at right. Northern Seminary. Yeah, you're teaching. I'm teaching next week uh, mission ecclesiology. I'm t- uh, teaching sexual ethics this year. Um, but uh, I'm also looking forward. You know what September gets me thinking about my football. Are you kidding me? Um, you don't know me. College better. football. I do love college football, but <laughs> I really long for the NHL. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, me, me, me too, but not in September. Oh, September. I'm longing for it, man. I'm longing for it. It reminds me of my days growing up in Canada when school would start. Well, here we go. And I'd cross that uh, little little street. Uh, coming home from school, going, how much longer do I have to wait till hockey night in Canada? Nice. Starts? Yeah, it's a big night. 
So anyways, it's September. It's uh, Northern Seminary. We're excited about a new quarter beginning, and uh, also Theology on Mission podcast. This is now our second podcast in season number five, isn't five. it? Five, yep. Yeah. And so today, we'd li- I'd like to talk about the topic of the importance of eschatology for mission. Give me a definition of eschatology. Eschatology, the doctrine or belief of and of the end times, of the end, of how God is going to bring this whole thing to its conclusion. Um, and so it, this is, I believe, eschatology, the doctrine of end times, how God works in the world to bring his kingdom into being, is, is absolutely essential for leading our churches into mission. I'm, I'm, I must tell you, Mike Moore, this is uh, a passion of mine. I mean, this is a passionate issue for me. I really eschatology? do believe uh, eschatology and mission. I think it wasn't until I read Hauerwas, oh, 20 years ago, that I realized this, is the, this could be the issue hmm. for mission. If your church, if the people who gather on Sunday morning don't understand what God is doing in the world in and through them to bring about his kingdom. They're going out there, and, and they're not going to know how to see the world, expect God to work in the world, or what they should even uh, participate in the world. If you got a comment on that, Mike Moore. Well, it seems like it was pretty big news for one denomination. Here in Chicago, uh, I think it was a couple months ago, Yeah, and I know about this gathering because it happened at one of my friend's uh, church You know churches. everybody. You know everybody. I, just, I, I feel like I've met the right people at the right time. Well, you I, just connected everywhere. Yeah. Man. I said, I said, well, uh, we were at a friend's birthday, and I said, oh, what, what does your church have going on this week? And he said, we have our national gathering. And I said, okay, what's you the... You can mention the denomination. Okay, yeah, yeah. EFCA. And I said, what's well, the topic? What, which stands for Evangelical Free Church of America. Yeah, and the topic um, was about premillennialism. Well, that's one of the topics there, and, and they're now considering... Uh, no, they have dropped end times doctrine, the particular version of the end times doctrine from their statement of faith. And and so their particular version, same as my denomination, at least here in the United States, not Canada. My denomination, mm-hmm. folks, for those of you who don't know, is the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, your denomination, for folks who don't know, is... The Christian Reformed Church. And, and, and before that, it was Christian... Well, no, not really. Before that, it was American... Uh, it was probably... He's a R- mutt. RCA. Oh, oh, but, oh for me. Oh, for yeah, you, yeah. I'm talking. Yeah, before that, it was ABC and Mennonite Church. And I, before actually, that... It, and I, I did serve at an EFCA church for a year. Actually, this year You're just a mutt. But this before EFCA that, your church. dad was Christian Missionary Alliance. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, Everything that comes from my yeah. denomination. Well, or I think before that, it was a Roman Catholic, actually. So I Ouch. Think we all, all right. right, let's just move on. Okay. <laughs> All right, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, EV Free Church, Evangelical Free Church, uh, changed its position on end times, voting uh, this most recent gathering. When was it? This summer? Uh, a yeah, couple of like, ten, five, five weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they voted to drop the word premillennial from the denomination's statement of faith. And they said, quote, we want to, uh, no, the denomination, I'm, I'm reading off the Christian Christianity Today article. Um, In a move to major on the majors and minor on the minors, the denomination drops end times doctrine from its statement, or premillennialism. Mm -hmm. They they replaced it with a very generic statement. Um, Let me read that as well if I can get to it. 
Um, yeah, I don't see it. Uh, 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 mm. uh, the thought was, okay, uh, I keep saying, oh yeah, the revised statement says, we believe in the personal, bodily, glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yes, yep. Yeah, so um, I guess the first thing I want to say about this, again, the topic for today, the importance of eschatology for mission is I don't like the evangel Folks, I love you out there, Evangelical <laughs> Free Church. But I don't like this idea we're majoring. We want to minor on the minors. I, I think I know. You, you know what they're saying. Yeah, I, yeah, of they're course. not getting rid of the second return of Christ. But they're acting like we want to major in the majors and minor in the minors, uh, that the eschatology of the church is a minor instead of a major doctrine. I want to strongly denounce that. You want to say that this is major? I want to say this is everything. Okay, I, that's okay. But that was a bit excessive. It sounds like what they're saying is like holding, declaring a view isn't necessarily a major de- denominational. All right, well, distinctive. We could go on, yeah. W- right. Pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill. Post-mill has been the way denominations of my ilk, evidently not yours, nope. uh, have thought about the end times. And, of course, millennium is uh, the word used in Revelation 21 to talk about... Is it 20 or 21? It's 20. 20. It's yeah. 20 verse 1. I think it's 20 verse 4. All right. Well, it's in there in the first six verses to talk about a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, of course, pre-mill. Do you know this stuff, the pre-mill? Uh, pre-mill. Uh, or you're one of those liberal churches. Uh, no. At, at the end of the present age, there'll be a tribulation. That's pre-mill. Right. There'll be a tribulation. Then Christ will come and reign for a thousand years, at which point the kingdom shall begin. Yeah. And then there's also like a dispens- dispensational pre-mill, Version. which was, was best exemplified in the Left Behind series. There's a rapture of the Did Christians. Did you grow up with the Left Behind series? Yeah, I actually read it. I can tell. Because <laughs> I, I know my <laughs> pre-mill and <laughs> theology so well. No, actually, I grew up with it too. No, you didn't grow up. You were... Okay, I was just going to make an old joke. I, I was you in, can do old man <laughs> jokes with me. I'm I, not sensitive. I was, I, I, was like, I was like 20, 21 when it came out. I actually didn't make it all the way through. Because then I actually had a Wait class a on the end times Thief in college. In the night. Thief in the night was... Oh, well, that's... I mean, I wasn't born. <laughs> Folks, anyhow, that was a definite old man a, slam. Anyhow, anyhow, dispensational premillennialism was left behind. It might have been Thief in the Night as well. I'm not as familiar. Right. And so we had premill, uh, whether it was so-called historic premill, which was George Ladd's position, by the way. Mm-hmm. George Ladd was this guy who left dispensationalism from Dallas Seminary, went to Fuller Seminary, and really became the architect of a whole new way to think about eschatology within evangelical churches, that is, within churches that wanted to abide by and hold to a high view of literal authority of the yeah. text. Okay. But then there was Amil which I think the Reformed people Mm -hmm. uh, were most comfortable in for many years, which said the millennium is a a metaphor for Christ's reign and that we are in it right now, and he will bring it to its conclusion in the future. And then uh, the the post-mill got all gummed up by the uh, liberals in the 1910s and 20s who said, ah, 
Jesus' return is not that important. It's actually bodily, physically return is right. not that important. Right. And uh, actually, we are in the full bore kingdom now. Mm-hmm. We are in the millennium now, and at the end, it shall be completed in history through God. But it's already, and we need to go out there and work like heck, work like heck to bring that in. Yeah. And so, um, the pre mills kind of rebelled against the post mills. Yeah, that was along the lines of conservative, progressive, right? Yeah, and pre-mill actually became the means to define those who uh, believe in the physical return of Christ against those who don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the book, uh, The Church of Us Versus Them, I talk about how beliefs become uh, banners or markers against to allow us to rally against people who don't believe like us. And what happens eventually, so premillennialism was actually a valid, I think, valid discernment in the last century. And my denomination uh, took a verse out of Matthew, uh, the gospel shall be preached among all the nations, and then the end will come as a premillennial statement. Hmm. And the point is there was a lot of good things going on in that premillennial architecture. Now, I'm not actually... It's very strange how dispensationalism got kind of construed yeah. within premillennial and actually became uh, somehow uh, tied to cessationism. Right. Uh, and there's reasons for that having to do with the delay of the kingdom. But, uh, folks, don't, don't turn your radios off yet. <laughs> uh, but the point is premillennialism became this doctrine which defined us against them. Yeah. And recently I've heard of churches voting in their congregations, do we re- re- retain premillennialism in our doctrinal statement? And people are voting, yes, by all means, yes. Yeah. And then you ask him, what does it mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I just know that it's important not to be liberal. Right, right. <laughs> but you still have some problems. Well, you have problems with both sides. Which? Uh, the, the, the post-millennial and the premillennial. Yeah, well, uh, so folks, I think we can solve this problem. Solve it for us. Uh, okay, I, do you think I was um, being overconfident in my abilities to solve I think you're problems? being a little overrealized in your abilities <laughs> to, to solve this problem. All right, well, that, oh, that, that, that was just a, that was great a, little, segue. That was a little post-millennial joke right there. Yeah, okay, so when I was in New Testament uh, studies, uh, the first thing we learned about eschatology was there were three versions. There was the overrealized eschatology. C.H. Uh, Dodd was the kind of uh, uh, guy who, who kind of laid that groundwork yeah. in the New Testament, and that is that the kingdom has already come. And so Jesus would say stuff like, the kingdom is already here to people, and mm-hmm. those people would focus on those statements. Overrealized eschatology. There, you see signs of it in the New Testament, by the way, when you see... Um, like disregarding gender distinctions in First Corinthians okay. or, or marriage, this thinking, yeah. oh, the kingdom's already come, the body doesn't... Right. Ma- overrealized eschatology, but then there's the futurist eschatology, uh, which really played off of Albert Schweitzer's uh, kind of um, um, scholarship that basically said Jesus was a failed prophet, he expected the kingdom to come, and mm-hmm. it didn't come. And, and, and so, by the way, you can read all this stuff out there, folks, uh, uh, or come to Northern Seminary and study this stuff. But, um, 
But that got turned into a version of dispensationalism where uh, even the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, you know, portending the kingdom is coming, yeah. and then it didn't come. It goes into an interim or so-called church age, and the kingdom therefore becomes something entirely future and entirely dependent on Jesus returning. Right. So we have overrealized eschatology. The kingdom is already here. We don't have to wait for anything. Or futurist eschatology. I believe futurist is one of the ways we talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I think there's better labels out there, but I can't remember them right now. Uh, future says it's entirely future. In, in the over-realized, it's my responsibility. And in the futurist, it's Jesus' responsibility. Well, think about what this does to our churches in mission. Over-realized eschatology is I, I affiliate most, most with Protestant mainline denominations sure. who... For at least traditionally, I would say it's changed in the last 20 years, but traditionally Protestant mainline have been the church of justice movements Mm -hmm. and seeing that God is at work in democracy and God is at work in socioeconomics of of advanced capitalism and God is at work in changing the world and making things better and better. This kind of progressive view of history, this, it's also Hegel, by the way. But anyways, we won't go into that. Who who wants to talk about Hegel on a a Thursday afternoon at Northern (laughs) Seminary? But, you know, but the point is that over-realized eschatology says God, everything we need in, is happening, yeah. and we can just go out there and participate yep. and get busy and work. And, of course, I always claim that leads to exhaustion. Oh, yeah, the burnout. And I believe, by the way, Missio Dei has been used that way. The idea of the mission of God is already at work. All we have to do is go out there and participate. I feel just go like, find it. Go yeah, find God a- a- working. Anywhere there's something happening, get busy. There's a tree. And you too can participate in God's mission. And I think, folks, don't hear me uh, uh, wrong on this. I believe in the mission of God. We'll figure it out eschatologically in a minute. But this over-realized eschatology actually works against the mission of God because it, it, it puts the burden on our shoulders, and we don't quite get how God is at work in the world and to participate, and so we get exhausted. Do you find this to be true in some of your church experiences? Yes. Even, yes. even the churches you have led as a good uh, northern graduate? Yeah. Give me an example. Um, well, I can tell you uh, the church I'm at right now. <laughs> Church I'm at right now is a busy church. Maybe you better not talk about the church you're at right now. Yeah, no. You don't want to offend. They like anybody. it. Nah, they're fine. They're okay. fine. I think I think every church probably has a tendency towards one or or the other. But I would say if we have a tendency, it's the overrealized because we're really involved in the neighborhood. We have two or three different nonprofits that have been spun out of the church, and so we we are busy. We are doing some good stuff in the neighborhood. But if we're gonna if we're gonna err in any of these directions, it's gonna be overrealized. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Protestant mainline churches often err. And when I'm talking about this stuff in in pastors' conferences, and I put a chart on the board, Mm -hmm. and the left side is Missio Dei, over-realized eschatology. And the right side is uh, futurist, uh, I'll call it, for la- for no, I'm not going to use that word because people are going to get confused. But it's a futuristic, yeah, dispensational. I say you got to bring it both towards. You got to. Br- what side are you on, and how do you bring, bring your them together towards the already but not yet okay. eschatology, which we used to call Helschgeschichte. That's that doesn't sound English. 
It sounds like a swear word in English. <laughs> it's German, German, right? It's Salvation History, uh, Oscar Kohlmann, George Ladd, I believe now, N.T. Wright, Scott McKnight. The new perspective on Paul mm-hmm. falls very much. I believe Anabaptists most often fall into this category. I believe some Reformed groups like... Uh, you know, Christian Reformer or Ritterbross have oh, had yeah. this eschatology work some Kuiper for guys, a huh? long time. Now, now let's not get into yeah. That sorry, thing. go ahead, uh, keep going. To get off the rails. <laughs> so, uh, what happens with the futurist eschatology is, uh, you know, think about the evangelical fundamentalists who think the world's going to hell. We're having an Armageddon. Everything's, uh, y- you know, therefore we're in a ship and we're throwing lifesavers right, out and pulling right. people out of the world into the church, yep. and we're going to kind of preserve it until the end comes. Yep. That, too, is a really screwed-up view of mission. Yeah. We end up going out individually trying to get people to buy our message and get them out of the world so that they're not going to get corrupted, and into the ship. What did Moody say? I don't have the. I don't have the quote. You know the quote? Yeah, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody about ship and getting people saved into the. Yeah. Into the. Um, D.L. Moody lifeboat. of. Uh, yeah, he. I just googled it, but uh, sorry, can't nope. find it. Okay, folks. Next next podcast, we'll have that for you. But the idea there is uh, that we are saving people out of the world. Uh, the idea of overrealized eschatology is we are in the world. And Jesus says to, uh, to his father as he's praying, they are in, protect them from the evil one. They are in, but not of the world. Mm-hmm. And so there's an eschatology, and it all started with George Ladd, uh, where the kingdom has begun, but it's not yet consummated. Um, and... Um, George Ladd, of course, was important in this, um, but you also have, as I already said, McKnight, N.T. Wright, Jimmy Dunn, uh, Ritter Bross, uh, the old Pauline uh, biblical theology. Uh, it's 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 in, so Oscar Kuhlman okay. is a most in Christ in time. Uh, so uh, that that book is really important for me when I was studying it, and so this this is kind of like where we need to go. So we we send people out into the world aware that Jesus is Lord and He's working in and through all things, but yet there is still rebellion, there is still disobedience, there is still places that people just don't know, mm-hmm. but God is working in and through all things to bring people to Himself. And so the text, you know, the the text that McKnight uses in King Jesus Gospel to uh, expound the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15, you know, and it starts out with, this is the gospel I have proclaimed to you. And Paul goes on to tell the story of Jesus, and it kind of reaches a crescendo. And the crescendo goes on for more than just this one verse, but mm-hmm. at verse 25 it says, And he shall reign until all enemies have been made subject so all enemies are not yet made subject, mm-hmm. and yet he is still reigning over the whole world. Um, you know, so uh, what I've learned is, is that this is not a resident eschatology that comes easily in evangelical churches. They don't quite get it. They don't quite get already, but not yet. Many of them are coming out of fundamentalist churches mm-hmm. where the world is going to hell in a handbasket and get out of there as quick as you possibly can. <laughs> the, the, that's D.L. Moody saying, I looked 
upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, Moody, save all you can. Get him out of there. That's the quote, yeah. Thank you for that quote, folks. It, was that inspiring, and, especially the way Mike Moore said it? And you think that that's where With evangelicals... the velvet tones of Mike Moore? <laughs> you think evangelicals are coming from that? Not all, but many. Okay. And by the way, what happens often when a pastor's trying to lead his evangelical fundamentalist congregation out of that is he goes to the extreme left on the chart. God is at work in the world. Just go out there and get busy. And we end up turning the church into... A traditional church with justice projects added on, and we start doing all these justice projects. But we forget, we forget that God is bringing in the kingdom, and wherever He is at work, I call it provenient grace because I'm out of the Wesleyan holiness world, and and all we have to do there is be present and proclaim the gospel, and allow God to reign in every situation, invite people into the lordship of Christ. We need to do an evangelism podcast because over at our church we're just we're just trying to, how do we invite people to go and be yeah. present long yeah. enough to know Jesus as it, Lord? It sounds like you're talking about a distinction of agency. So on the one, I said this earlier, but on the one side, we, have, the way, to, we have to a, do it. Can you just explain agency? Because that's a pretty uh, intense philosophical well, concept. I, I, I don't think I'm meaning it as philosophically as, as you might think. Just maybe setting up the distinction between my agency and God's agency oh. in terms of mission. Well, that's the way I was thinking about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, on the futurist side, God's going to do it. Jesus is going to come back at some point. Don't have to worry about the kingdom. On the over-realized side, I have to do it. It's on me to advance the kingdom. I have to go out there and program things, right? Yeah. So how do you, I mean, how do you distinguish between those two things? Because I hear you saying, hey, go be present. Yeah. But how, how do you know what is over-realized, and what is just futurist? I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, I might disagree with you a little bit on agency. I think you're right on the over-realized eschatology. I think if people think everything is kingdom and God is at work in everything, so homeless shelter, Mm -hmm. hospital, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go march in this Mm -hmm. justice cause. By the way, almost all, well, all those things are, could be, uh, places to become present and allow God to work. But what happens most often is we, to use your word, think it's up to us to make it happen. We got to go out there and do it. Okay. And actually, no, we have to go out there and be present to what God's doing and uh, call people into the kingdom. On the other hand, I think it's still uh, our agency uh, in futurist eschatology, except this time I go out there and I try to convince somebody they're going to hell. I see, I see. Yeah. And it's all up to me to convince them to go to hell. I mean, to convince them that they are going to hell. Right, right. And actually, sometimes we are convincing them to go to hell by convincing right. them they're going to hell. But yeah, you know what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, it's all up to me. And we get scared to death, and we think, oh, I can't do that. That's oppressive. That's, that's coercive. Uh-huh. Either case, uh, I believe this agency question, which you have raised, gets cast awry and defeats uh, the purposes of God and how he wants to use us in the world. Gotcha. Case study? Well, give, so... Give so, you an example. So I think, really, we have to recast. And this is something I've spent... I mean, the last 25 years of New Testament study have been so rich 
and helping me see not only that God, that the kingdom has begun, but it's incomplete. This, when you go out there, you see a lot of bad things. Is anybody, is there a shortage of bad things to see out in the world? <laughs> and. Yeah. And so it's pretty hard to be an over-realized eschatology person anymore, right? I mean, there are various ways to do it through process theology, and I think you know, process theology has its problems. A lot right. of problems too. Um, but um, um, you know, uh, not only does uh, already but not yet eschatology help us see that there's a lot of issues in the world, but it sees how God works in the world. Yeah. God brings His kingdom through the right hand. Uh, or through Jesus as Lord ruling in the right hand as the lamb that was worthy to be slain. In other words, he does not enter the world uh, through the power of the world, but through his presence, uh, bringing healing. And he doesn't coerce. So we must go out and be present to his presence. If I were a realized eschatology person, I might think, hey, I have to go out and, and actually uh, stop uh, Hitler uh, by shooting him, mm-hmm. okay. There's. I just raised a whole bunch of problems. I, yeah, I got next you. time. It's next an time, example. It's an next, example. Next, uh, if I'm, uh, but no, that's not the way God works. God works through His presence, bringing in the kingdom. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like we were doing this last podcast. Yeah. Like you know, it's treasure. It's in the field. It's, it's, a, it's hidden. And He's working through all these things. Can we go and be present to what He's doing? discern it and say, hey, I believe the gospel goes like this. Describe Jesus as Lord and how you see him working in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And then say, can you see it? Are you interested? Can I invite you in to make him Lord of your life and cooperate? Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it happening. That's why I see it, him overcoming injustice in the world. Can I give you uh, a pastoral problem or a pastoral... Example, how, how would you pastor this? Somebody comes to you from your congregation, says, oh. hey, hey, I see a lot of people who are sleeping on the streets. Um, I want to set up a food pantry. Well, um, I guess this might be a cop-out. Mm-hmm. But just recently, <clears throat> like it's, it's a continual struggle, even in churches I've pastored, to get the gospel... Um, I was going to say right, W-R-I-G-H-T, <laughs> wink, wink, to get it right. The gospel is that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and evil. And now, <clears throat> through forgiveness of sins, you can enter into his lordship and his reign and his kingdom and all he's doing to set the world right, mm-hmm. uh, that he has fulfilled in Christ his promise to make all things right. I'm talking about God the Father. And so now that's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Will you enter in? And yet we've struggled as a church, and I'm talking about not just my church now that I pastor in along with five other pastors, but all, all churches, to get this this idea of the gospel, the, 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 the proclamation of this reality that he is Lord, to be the gospel. We still, you know, if I sit around and ask a bunch of kids, what's the gospel? He died for my sins. I'm a sinner. Yep. He died for my sins. I'm forgiven. And now I can go to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get that gospel out of people's minds. By the way, that is a part yeah, of the gospel. The gospel. Sure. It is not the gospel. I urge you to read uh, our beloved Scott McKnight of Northern Seminary's book, King Jesus Gospel. Yep. Um, so what we did this past Sunday 
is we got a group together and we started proclaiming the gospel to each other. We started talking through issues in our lives and learning how to say, Jesus is Lord, can you receive that? And it meant unwinding the way I'm narrating the bad news. I'm an idiot. Things are going bad. This is going all wrong in my mm-hmm. life. I can't see. And then somebody re-narrating. Actually, can you see God at work in that? Do you see what he did when you said A, B, C, or D? Can you receive that Jesus is Lord and see how he's working and how he wants to? And can you enter in and let him be Lord of this? That's the gospel. And so yeah. we sat around and started doing it to each other in groups of four. And it was uh, it was amazing for me to receive the gospel in that way. We need to do it every Sunday from church, but we also need to teach eschatology from the pulpit. And this is not and uh, uh, other times of Bible study. Yeah. And this is going to take more than just one Sunday morning or more mm-hmm. than a series of sermons. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a revolution in your church through eschatology. Wow. It's a big guarantee. Sometimes I overstate things. <laughs> That might have been the one time. No. No, I actually think it's true. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, if we agree. Would just tend to it. Um, you got any good books to read on this, uh, Mike Moore, this subject? Well, other the, than Scott McKnight. King other than, than the books in this room, uh, I see I see Millennial Maze there. That's referring to people who want to get an idea of what all this millennial theology is about. Pre-millennial, post-millennial. Yeah, all, uh, all that millennial. stuff by Stan Grins. Uh, but it's a good book, by the way. It's 20 years old, but it's a good book. Yeah, it's a good outline. Um, yeah, I think anything that N.T. Wright is touching right now is... Surprised by Hope. Surprised by Hope is a great book. Um, uh, Michael Gorman, Michael Gorman's commentary... On reading Revelation on Revelation is great. Matter of fact, can I just recommend... Yeah. And uh, Mike Gorman, if you're listening, I doubt you are. But if you are, you know... I've done more to sell that book than any other human being. <laughs> I love that book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. But can I suggest you use it to uh, preach through the lectionary? You know, uh, at Life in the Vine, we did this once. We took the book of Revelation and we chose passages for Advent, for um, Epiphany, for Lent, and for post-Easter uh, uh, mystagogy, and it was fantastic, and we mm. taught it all through uh, Michael Gorman's great commentary, reading Revelation responsibly. Yeah, GB Card, he has cared, cared. He his uh, commentary on Revelation is also great. That's, really, that's older than um, I Gorman's, have it, but I I haven't been struck by yeah. it. Oh, really? um, yeah. Oh, He was at Oxford, I think. All right, and I'm going to mention a name that I always have to say. We recognize this man's character flaws. But um, yeah. uh, in Yoder's, John Howard Yoder's original revolution, chapter three, if Christ be truly Lord, or if Christ is truly Lord, that chapter explains the relationship between eschatology, peace, and mission. In fact, both he and Hauerwas would say, uh, if you don't have your right eschatology, you're not going to get your pacifism right. You're not going to be able to believe that God will work through suffering and maybe even nonviolent. You don't have to take control. Jesus is Lord, and he's working in and through all things. Uh, Hauerwas wrote a book uh, called Approaching the End, Eschatological Reflections on Church Politics and Life. Hmm. There's a few essays in there that I would highly recommend if you're trying to sort out the relationship between eschatology and mission and the church's work. In the world, 
Amen. So, eschatology and mission, the importance of eschatology and mission. I was on, I was just looking on Facebook to do a little Fitch on Fitch, if you got a second for it. Really? You're going to put, you're going to put one on? We we don't have to, just if you're ready. Dude, 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 when I push back like that, I'm I'm just, (laughs) I'm just making. Oh, I know. I'm just putting up a little fuss, you You, know? Yeah. When you looked at me, that's why I was looking down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, the failure of the mega church. Ooh. The failure of moral majority. The failure of biblicism. The failure of all these things to lead us to the true Christ has led many ex parentheses evangelicals to the realization that there's no knowing Christ apart from his presence in all of the sacraments. Yeah. Do you uh, agree with that? Do you like it? <laughs> Uh, I didn't on Facebook. Here, I'll click it right now. There you go. Oh, yeah, you now just liked like it. it now. Yeah. By the way, uh, my Facebook page doesn't have any more room for friends. But mm, you actually got room for fourteen more. But that's oh, fine. that's that means a lot of people have dropped out. <laughs> after <laughs> the recent, it's post like that after the recent Trump rants. On oh my, yeah, I saw okay. that one. That's but okay. anyways, <laughs> uh, I just want to say that I do think uh, uh, like consumerism in the megachurch. Yeah. Um. Biblicism, the idea that I can live my life if I just learn the Bible better and memorize verses and mm-hmm. try to obey it. Uh, and then what was the other one? Um, biblicism, uh, moral majority. Oh, yeah, the politics of the current right, evangelical right, and that we're not accomplishing anything. If anything, we've set Christianity back 500 years. That might be an exaggeration, but... Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, that these things have have left millennials and younger going. What am I a Christian for? And I think the return to the centrality of knowing Jesus through His presence, and that all starts with the sacraments. And by the way, I don't believe the sacraments are just the church sacraments. I believe they're the social sacraments of the way we live right. our life together. Faithful presence is where yeah. I talked about. Got a that. book on that. I think that's why we're seeing a return to sacramental church. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, all the Anglican churches out there, the Episcopal church, people going back, uh, praise be to God, but let's not forget mission. Yeah. Let's not keep the sacraments to ourselves. Let's keep them uh, as a way of life to share the presence of Christ in the world. But that's a topic for another podcast. Mike, right. we're not bad, uh, we're not bad yeah. for us. Yeah. What is this, a Thursday afternoon mm-hmm. We're getting back in the flow. Here at Oof. Northern Seminary in the bowels, in the bowels. of the library. <laughs> Folks, Theology on Mission podcast where theology meets mission. I hope you'll give us a review on uh, iTunes or mm-hmm. some other site. Um, I hope you'll, uh, if you got any problems with what Fitch has said today, I frankly think Mike Moore was, you know, a yep. little provocative as well. Yeah, as always. Uh, you know, if you got problems with us, please let us know by giving us uh, a message on the uh, website or send us a... Uh, can they get a hold of us somehow? Yeah, through, you know, the internet. I mean, if you look us up, <laughs> if, you, if you look us up, you will find our emails and you might find our phone numbers too. Uh, don't find our phone numbers. Well, anyways, yeah. folks, it's so good once again be talking theology on mission i hope you'll join us again until next time it's david fitch mike moore over and out <laughs>